0: Take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 19 through 25. Our Sunday morning series right now is titled, What Do I Do Now? I'm sure that I'll repeat myself in just a moment, but we uh, have a tendency to look at the world around us and look for some magic bullet, some political party, some savior uh, beyond our Savior, to come and uh, fix everything, and we spend a lot of time campaigning for those things to be fixed or worrying about those things being fixed, when in reality, all we can do is just fix ourselves. I can't do anything about the world. It's like G.K. Chesterton said so many years ago when the London <clears throat> Times put out the, the um, advertisement to all of the writers in London, To write a theme or a thesis that said, What's wrong with the world today? G.K. Chesterton wrote back and said, Sirs, I am yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. You can't fix everybody else. I can't fix everybody else, but I can fix me. We have learned that if we're going to fix ourselves, we've got to soften our hearts. We've learned that if we're going to fix ourselves, we have to prepare ourselves for the judgment to come. We've learned that if we're going to fix ourselves, we have to behave ourselves. And today, the the title of the message is, Take Me to Church. There's a difference between a survey and a study. A survey asks random people to rate their own behavior while a study measures the behavior of people with objectivity. For instance, most polls over the past few years have determined that church attendance is somewhere between 35 and 40% of our population in America. However, you can just watch as you come to church on Sunday, and you can see that there's no way that 40% of Tallahassee is on its way to church we know that that must have come from a survey where people were rating their own behavior. The survey says one thing, but the actual head count shows that less than 20% of Americans are going to church these days, more like 17%. There are many megachurches and what I call designer churches that are attracting a rotating group of people, but they are not effectively influencing the percentage, they're just rearranging it. We, that is the body of Christ, we're in trouble. We're in real trouble. In light of the world in chaos, what do we do now? Is it okay to just let the church go away? Is that okay? Should that be, should that which was once a staple in our Society and in our life and our country become now just a rarely ordered option among us. Today's text tells us the value, the importance, the necessity of fulfilling our commitment to His, that is, the Lord Jesus' church, in the days that lead up to His coming. Someone needs to send us back to church. Now, I realize that I'm preaching this message to people who are in church. So I'm not, I'm not, uh, I don't have any rancor toward anybody who is in church or out of church today, but I do want you to understand that there's something going on in the body of Christ today that is not healthy and is not in preparation for the coming of Jesus Christ. I can only fix me and you can only fix you, but we really should make a new commitment to our local church. Here's the text. let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day. There it is again, the day, the day drawing near. Let's begin by talking about our privilege, specifically my privilege, your privilege. Verse 19 again, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. If you've been attending our Bible studies on Wednesday night, we are studying in the book of Hebrews. and you know that offering sacrifice directly to God was not something that the Jewish person in the Old Testament could do. They could not make a direct sacrifice to God. There were some occasions where someone might have been asked to do so, but they couldn't. That is, the average Jewish person couldn't do so. Entering into the most holy place, the place of sacrifice, was something that was reserved for the the high priest. Aaron was the first high priest. Some people think Melchizedek was the first high priest, but Melchizedek was a unique order of priest. Aaron was the first high priest. First Chronicles 23 and verse 13, the sons of Amram, Aaron and Moses. Aaron was set apart to dedicate the most holy things that he and his sons forever should make offerings before the Lord and minister (coughs) to him, and pronounce blessings in his name forever. The high priest's most significant task was to enter into (coughs) the Holy of Holies. He was to go into that chamber within the tabernacle on Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. And he would go there to ask atonement for himself and for that of the other priest and for that of all of (coughs) of Israel. On that occasion, he wore a very simple white linen garment. He didn't wear the the costly and more ornate um, garment. He alone could offer the sacrifice for the sins of the priest or the the people or of himself. Only he could offer that sacrifice. Well, here's a beautiful thing. Our privilege is that now we can come directly into the presence of God. Our privilege is that now we can do what once only the high priest could do. We can enter into the most holy place, the very presence of God. And the reason that we can come to the Father is because we have a great <clears throat> high priest. This great high priest's name is Jesus. And so we can come to the holy place because of Jesus Christ. The old way was appointed for the priest to enter the holy place on your behalf but now you and I have a living way <clears throat> Jesus Christ the son of God no one needs a mediator other than Jesus Christ if you have Jesus Christ he is your mediator you can come before the lord you don't have you can ask other people to pray for you you can ask other people to encourage you but i'm here to tell you there's there's one person who made a sacrifice that made the Father, available to all of us so that we can appeal directly to Him, and that is Jesus Christ. Our sacrifice for sin, our satisfaction for sin, the great high priest, the mediator between God and man, gave us this privilege. So I've got a privilege, and so do you. Now what is our posture in regard to the privilege? How should I come before Him? what should it be like do you go before the father and say what's up yo 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 is that the way you go to the father there's a posture before the father most of you know that Ron Williams and I have a a friendship with an 86 year old man he is a legendary college football coach We play golf with Coach Bowden just about every Saturday. We played yesterday, if you want to call that playing. I consider Coach Bowden to be a friend. But to be honest with you, my friendship with him is a little different than my friendship with Ron. I've known Ron since my college days at Tennessee Tech in Cookville, Tennessee. <clears throat> we've known each other a very long time. We're very good friends. We and our, he and I and our wives get together. We'll go to dinner and spur of the moment. We made trips together and so on. Coach has been in our home for dinner, but we do a little more planning before having he and Ann at our house, mainly because of Ann. But <clears throat> we, we plan it just a little bit. Now, here's the point. The point is that we have the privilege of friendship, but we have a posture that's fitting to the success and position in life and history that Coach Bowden has. You just show a little respect. You just kind of make sure that you realize this is a good guy and he's a good friend, But you know what else? He's been a lot of miles that I've not been. I said that because to get you to understand that there is a posture that we must approach the Lord with. We we must approach the Lord in such a way that is fitting to approaching Him. Here's what our text says in verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. This may be where the phrase cleanliness is next to godliness came from. That's the closest you'll find in the Bible to it. Interesting, by the way, Nicolette, that your song is about this, because it's through the blood of Jesus Christ that we're made clean, and we are to approach Him with a clean heart. That's what our text says. Our text says a <clears throat> a true heart. That means a heart that's authentic. That means a heart that's not just going through the motions. When we first teach our children to pray before meals or at night, we do not let them get away with running through a prayer. <clears throat> we do not let them get away with with not praying properly, and there's not just the right words to pray, there's the right posture of prayer. And if they pray with a wrong posture, let's say they pray while they're still playing with something, we make them stop and, and do it again. Here are words from Jesus to help us to understand this. Matthew five twenty three. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. That's telling us that there is a way to approach the Lord. We have the right to approach the Lord through Jesus Christ, but there's a way to approach the Lord. There's a posture by which we should approach Him one thing that you can do, and so can I, is to be genuine. We can be the real article. We can be the true article. We can be genuine in our faith. There's plenty of hypocrisy in the world. The Lord doesn't need you to be one. He doesn't need for me to be one. You know, the world doesn't need another hypocrite. There's a lot of hypocrites in the world. It doesn't need another one, so let's be genuine. We're not going to be perfect. None of us are going to be perfect, but we can be real. Here's a more good instruction from Jesus. In Matthew 5, 37, he said, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. I do not like to have the feeling that someone is disingenuous. I don't like the feeling that someone is, is working me. I feel sorry for those of you who are too young to have watched Leave It to Beaver. Because there was a guy on Leave It to Beaver who's the perfect illustration of disingenuous. Those of you who watched Leave It to Beaver, would you just say his name out loud? Eddie Haskell. That's exactly right. Eddie Haskell. What a rat. But you know there are a lot of people who kind of live their spiritual lives that way. They are spiritual Eddie Haskells. We really love you, Jesus. My, your house looks good today. I'm going to go out. and Hey, squirt, how you doing? You remember when Eddie would talk to Beaver that way, the poor old Beave. There are those who are not genuine in their faith. This is not what it means to come to the Father with a true heart. We're to come with a true heart, with a clean heart. That means with a clear conscience. The verse says that our hearts are to be sprinkled from an evil conscience. Do you ever wonder how those running for public office are able to fit themselves to the crowd that they are addressing? Have you ever noticed how that they can? I think I could too, but you ever notice that? <clears throat> All successful politicians do it, and some do it without violating their conscience. Some have no conscience, so it doesn't matter. However, when you totally change <clears throat> who you are, excuse me, <clears throat> who you are to speak to a different crowd, there should be some sense of conscience associated with that. There should be some sense of, this isn't real. I'm not being real here. And if we come to the Lord with a a disingenuous conscience, how can our posture be right before Him? Again, I can't fix you. You can't fix me. I can't fix Washington. None of us can make anyone else sincere and genuine, but we ourselves can have a clear conscience. We can be genuine and sincere. We can serve God and approach His throne through Jesus Christ with a clear conscience. In a day when it seems that all is falling apart at the seams, our conscience must be clear toward God and and toward others. It just must be. We must live with a clear conscience. Conscience. The title of the message is Take Me to Church, but here we are <clears throat> well into the message and haven't even gotten to church just yet. In light of the world falling around your feet and mine in this time of chaos, of ISIS and, and, and so much chaos going on in the election world and, and so on, in light of, <clears throat> of all of that, what is the answer? Well, the answer is for us to do something about ourselves. I must understand my privilege as a believer and examine my posture. Am I clean? Am I clear in my life? There's also the matter of, of my persistence. Just have to stay with it. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You know, everyone has hope in hopeful times. Everyone does. When, when things are going just right and, and everything is up, 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 and you got more money and you know what to do with, and your health is perfect, and, and your family's great, and everything's just wonderful, 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 we can all have hope. Boy, it's a, you know, zippity doo die day. However, <clears throat> when things aren't so wonderful, then can we have hope. Hope. To have hope in troublesome times is to demonstrate faith. It's to live by faith. Do you believe in the faithfulness of God? Do you believe that God is faithful no matter what? Do you believe that God is good no matter what? Do you believe that God is all-powerful no matter what? Do you believe that the true and living God is greater than than a, a God of hate, one that that drives people to murder and to commit acts of terrorism. Do you believe in the true and living God? <clears throat> Do you believe that God is, is bigger than the Democratic or the Republican Party? Do you believe that God is bigger than that? Oh yeah, I believe God's bigger than that. However, <clears throat> when the race boils down to What we do not particularly care for, we say, what are we going to do? I guess God's not bigger than your party, then. How big is your God? You know, you can measure just about anything. We have inches and feet and yards and miles, ounces and pounds. Land is measured by the acre. In other parts of the world, it's measured by the hectare. You know what a hectare is? A hectare is about two and a half acres. Land is measured, you know that, Roger? You're a civil engineer. It's measured by the hectare. Distance is measured in other parts of the world in centimeters and meters. A meter is about 39 inches. In kilometers, one mile is is, uh, 0.6 of a kilometer. So if you're driving in another country and the the speedometer says, that you're going 100 kilometers an hour, you're going 60 miles an hour typically, about 60 miles an hour. That's kind of the way to figure that, just kind of do a 0.6 whenever you're you're traveling. We measure God too. Let me tell you how you measure God. I'm getting ready to tell you how you measure God. So do I. This is the measurement of God. We measure God at our point of worry. <clears throat> that's where we measure him. If we don't fret over ten dollars, but a hundred dollars really bothers us, then we've got a hundred dollar God. You got it, <clears throat> or less than a hundred dollar God. That's it. It could be <clears throat> if your threshold is a thousand or ten thousand or hundred thousand, then that's the monetary limit of your God. I, my God is God, and God is good right up to ten thousand dollars. Then I got to worry. <clears throat> That's how big your God is. If your God cannot function without a Democrat or a Republican office, then your God is bound by political party. Sure would be good if one of you say amen to that. <clears throat> it's the absolute truth. Well, Pastor Ray, aren't you, aren't you a member of a political party? Absolutely I am. I, I just, <clears throat> I absolutely am. And I believe very strongly in the principles of that political party. I don't always believe in the people of that political party, but I believe in the principles of that political party. <clears throat> but i got to tell you something. God's bigger than my politics. At the point of your, that your peace ends <clears throat> and your worry begins, that's the limit of your God. That's how big God is in your life what did the verse say in verse 23? Let us hold fast for the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is, what does that word say? Faithful. God is faithful. Your $10,000 God is faithful beyond $10,000. Your $100,000 God is faithful beyond $100,000. Your million dollar God is faithful beyond a million dollars. Your God is faithful. <clears throat> your God is faithful beyond your candidate. <clears throat> your God is faithful beyond the, the mess that's going on in our world today. <clears throat> your God is, is faithful. God is big enough for you or any issue that you may face. God is big enough to guide us through treacherous waters or speak peace to the waters if that's what he choose. God is <clears throat> big enough. That wouldn't be a bad thing to say. God is big enough. Would you say that? God is <clears throat> big enough. Now think of the biggest problem you got going right now. Think about the biggest fear you've got going on right now. <clears throat> think of the biggest issue in your life right now. <clears throat> think of it. You got it in your head? Now say God is big enough with me. God is big enough. If he's not bigger <clears throat> or big enough for whatever it is that's going on inside of you or in your life, well then how big is he? Why would you entrust your eternity to a God who's not big enough to take care of your now and now? <clears throat> Why would you do that? Well then, it is, if it's my privilege to know God <clears throat> through Jesus Christ and my posture is that of being authentic in my Christianity, persisting in my faith in the true and living God, then, <clears throat> to what end do I exercise myself to godliness in the day like we, in which we live? Well, that brings us to our purpose. My purpose. A few weeks ago, I preached a series of sermons addressing the purpose of each believer. You remember what we said? We are born with a purpose and born again to be able to find <clears throat> our purpose. As it relates to our text, And in light of the day in which we live, our purpose is to build the body of Christ to encourage the church. That's what Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 is all about. You've heard me talk about in the past consumer Christianity. Just in case you missed that, let me tell you, consumer Christianity is when believers abandon their call to be salt and light in order to be entertained or carve out their own corner of Christianity. In other words, to just have it like they want it. My job isn't to be salt and light. My job is to get it like I want it. And so they go shopping. It's consumer Christianity. There's nothing in the world to indicate that in light of the return of Jesus Christ, that we should be good consumers, that we should have programs that are exactly like we want them we do know that we should soften our hearts. We do know that we should prepare for judgment. We do know that we should behave ourselves, and we do know that we should get ourselves to church. However, the greater need is often abandoned for the greater preference. We have great needs in our lives, and we have great preferences in our lives, and sometimes our great preferences override our great needs. Sometimes our great preference isn't even related to God. A couple of years ago, Larry Martin introduced to me something that I had never heard before. Larry, Larry talked to me as though everybody had heard about this, and I'd never heard of it. But he he said the talked about having the third place in your life, and he said everybody needs a a third. He said everybody's got a third place. It's not that they need one; they've got a third place. And he said our fight is for the church to be third place. That third place is the place that you default to after the first two. And the understanding is that Jesus at the center of our lives in the middle of every place, but what are those places? Well, first of all, there's there's home. He should be the center of every place, <clears throat> he should be the center of our home. Our home occupies most of our time. Granted, maybe sleeping time, but our our home <coughs> occupies most of our time. Then there's work. Work occupies a lot of time. Nothing wrong with that. And Christ ought to be at the center <coughs> of what you do professionally every day, whether it's, it's work or school or volunteering or, or whatever it is. And, <coughs> and Jesus can be the center of your first place, and Jesus can be the center of <coughs> your second place. The question is about third place. God's local church is the third place of our lives. And He too is the center of our third place. But if anything takes that place as third place, then how can God be the center of it? If you have moved something else in the third place and crowded out His place as your third place, how can He be at the center of that third place priority in your life? Again, Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here's what I know about my purpose, my purpose in this place, in this church, your purpose too. First of all, I know that I can stir people up, that's what the Bible <clears throat> tells us we're supposed to be doing, stirring each other up. Let me ask you this. Are people, Christians, your brothers and sisters in Christ and others, are they better off for knowing you? Do you stir others up <clears throat> to love good and to love good works? I don't mean chide them. I don't mean chide them, but stir them to love good works. Do you stir them <clears throat> to good works? Can you stir them to good works? That's one of the reasons that we come to the house of God is to stir others to good works. When I'm friendly, others are friendly. <clears throat> when I give, others give. When I serve, others serve. We have to be mindful that others watch us and they <clears throat> embrace us, based on what they see. Well, she's doing this, so maybe I should do this. She is this way, so maybe I should be that way. He is like that, so maybe I should be like that. I can stir people up. Here's the second thing. I can encourage the family. A few weeks ago, I met with Matt Brown and Patricia Griffin there with Tallahassee. State Bank. They were with Premier and then it became Centennial and then they <clears throat> moved to Tallahassee State Bank. And I just follow them because I trust them. I know them and I trust them. You can have a great banker and you ought to have a great banking relationship no matter where you bank. <clears throat> but anyway, I, I met them over at uh, what used to be on the border uh, next, to the, next to Golden Corral. It's now Masa. How many of you have eaten at Masa? Oh, you need to go eat at Masa. You'd like that. I think you would. Go eat lunch over there. It's dirt cheap and they give you a lot. Anyway, I, I was meeting them for lunch. And I was in the second day of a raging cold. I mean a raging cold. Dr. Thacker, you remember that huge allergy attack that I was having at my house? wasn't allergies. It was a raging cold. And I was in the second day of it. And I don't get colds very often. I have I have allergy problems, as you well know, but I, I don't get colds. And I got out of my car walking toward the restaurant. And as I was walking toward the restaurant, this thing was raging. And I was trying my best to trace back where I thought I may have picked this cold up. I was trying to trace it and figure out <clears throat> who gave me this cold. Because I was going to take them out. <laughs> I was going to witness to them about Jesus, then take them out. <clears throat> they are diseased people. They don't need to be walking the earth. <clears throat> And so I was getting out of my car, and I had my head down, and I was thinking, that's literally what I was thinking about. I was, where did I get this cold? Where did I get it? And I was deep in thought when I heard outside the restaurant as I was approaching the front door, Matt Brown say this, I have never seen you without a smile on your face. He said that to me. I've never seen you without a smile on your face. I felt badly. I went, oh man. And then I told him that I was trying to retrace my steps to figure out where I'd gotten this cold. The point of all of that is this. He had an expectation of me. He had an, he expected to see me in a certain light because he always saw me in that certain light. That's the way that we are to be to the family of God. That's the way that we are to be in the house of God. We are to encourage one another. We're to stir one another up. What can I do? What's the purpose of my life as it relates to to the church, to the local church. I can stir people up. I can encourage the family. And here's the third thing. I can prepare for the coming of the Lord. You know, the text says that we do these things and so much more as you see the day approaching. What day? The coming of the Lord. I've said this to you before. I'm going to say it again. You don't get to believe in the virgin birth if you can't believe in the return of Christ. You don't get to believe in the resurrection if you don't believe in the return of Jesus Christ. You say, well, why not, Pastor Ray? Because the same book that brought you the virgin birth brought you the second coming. The same book that brought you the resurrection brought you the return. And you know what? Part of preparing ourselves for the day of His return is is to be in fellowship in God's house and, and to be happy about God's house and to have joy in God's house and to stir others up. And as we look around and we see all of the difficulties that are going on and all of the problems and all of the issues that are in this world today, when we look around and we say, what do I do now? prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord.